Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Hey, go ahead and welcome somebody next to you this morning. Tell them you are so glad to see them at church today. And also, while you guys are having a seat, can we welcome everyone joining us online? Let's say hello to everybody online today. We're so honored that you were, this thing is hot today. This thing, Mike is on. We're getting it on. Um, Hey, this is uh, week three of a two-week series. Go figure. I don't know how that works. Uh, We were going to make this a two-week series, but here we are in week three. It's going to go into week four. And I'm just saying, I think God is doing something in our lives, hopefully in your personal life, as we focus on making our hearts ready, making our lives ready, a platform for God to be able to build on. How many of you, just out of curiosity, last week you tried the, the negativity challenge? Anybody put a jar like on their count? Yeah, some of you guys did. Hopefully you got some money to go out to eat this last week. Uh, but we're gonna continue talking about some of those things in our life that keep us from experiencing the full life that's available because that's what Jesus tells us. In John 10, 10, he said, there's a thief who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, but he came so that we could have life, and so that we could have life to the full. And there are toxins in our life, there are contaminants in our life that keep us from living that full life. And so every now and then, especially during the beginning of the year, right, we wanna detox, we wanna do some some cleansing, and maybe some of you have done a juice cleanse or a juice, you know, some sort of fasting, something to kind of reset your body physically, you know, because that's what athletes do, elite athletes like myself, that's, you shouldn't laugh at that. That's not even funny. Elite athletes, you know, what they do is they don't allow toxins into their life so that they can compete at the level that they want to compete in. But the same thing happens to our spiritual lives. Toxins tend to, to creep in, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and they keep us from living the full life that God has for us. And so the, the, the definition of detox, if you want to jot it down, you can. It's the removal of toxic substances from a living organism. And we know we have bodies and our bodies are alive, but so is our spirit. We have a, a living spirit. In fact, it's the part of you that's going to live on for forever. In fact, it's the reason why when people come and they have an encounter with God, which by the way, that's what we want more than anything. If you're new to church and you're checking this thing out, a lot of you, you don't need another explanation of God. You need an encounter with God. You need an encounter with the Holy Spirit working in and through your life. But when people have that encounter and they cross the line of faith, finally you know, realizing like scales falling from their eyes that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and Jesus saved me from my sin. When they do that, people often say, I feel like I'm alive. And it's because you are because the spirit inside of you has come alive, which is also why the Bible says we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sins. So when we enter into a relationship with God, now all of a sudden we become alive. In Christ, we are alive. But not just our our body, right? Our soul, our spirit, our soul. Anytime somebody says, you know, your soul, it's kind of a vague statement, is it not? So when I say heart and soul, what I'm referring to is your soul being your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's what kind of makes up your soul. Of course, the mind is the thinking part 
of your life, you know, the, the kind of part that makes, you know, you, you think and process things. Your will, I would say, is we all have a, a will, right? Decisions, we can make our own decisions. We all have a volitional kind of will. You are not a robot. God did not create you to be a robot. Uh, and sometimes, you know, people are like, well, why didn't God just, you know, create me to, to love him the way that he wants me to love him is because how many of you know that's not real love? You know, real love is not loving because you have to. Love is loving because you make a decision to love. And so we all are, have been given this will, this will to either accept or reject what God did for us through his son, Jesus. Like we all have a, a will. God did not want robots. He wanted a relationship. Come on, somebody. But we also have our emotions. That's also a part of our soul. We have emotions. Some of us are feelers. Some of you feel things more than other people you know, feel things. So we're, we're, we're a mind, will, we have these, these emotions. Of course, we're also a body. You know, the physical side of us, the part of us that will not last for, for eternity. However, this is another message for another day. Your body, once you get to heaven, if you've made that decision to put Jesus you know, first in your life and, and give your life to follow him, uh, you'll get a new body, the Bible says, a glorified body. And I'm just believing in heaven that that glorified body will not be affected by Krispy Kreme donuts. Come on. I'm ready to eat some of those again. I'm just saying. So we have this mind, will, we have these emotions, all of it together. We have this physical body. And isn't it interesting? During this time of year, we will spend so much of our lives focused on the part of us, the physical part of us that won't last forever. And we do that. Like we gotta work out, we gotta do this stuff, we gotta you know, hit this. And we spend such little amounts of our life focused on the part of us, the spirit of us that it actually will last for, for eternity somewhere. I'm not saying don't focus on your body. I'm just saying maybe we have our priorities a little jacked up. Maybe we should make sure you know, what's at the top of the list should be our, our spirit and our spiritual lives. So all that to say, you're not just a body. We know this. And these, these toxins creep into our, our heart and into our soul, and they keep us from operating to our full potential. Uh, if it's in your mind, your mind starts you know, having these toxic thoughts, and that doesn't you know, allow you to live a, you know, a full life, or, or it creeps into your will, and you start making decisions you know, from, from you know, toxic kind of this will, this volitional will that you have choosing, choosing certain things or your emotions can drive. And how many of you know, emotions are not a great foundation to make good decisions from because emotions can be all over the map, can they not? You can feel one way one day and feel a completely different way another day. And so we've been working from this verse in 2 Corinthians 7, one where Paul said this, since we have these promises, the promises that God has given us in his word, the promise that, that we are you know, in Christ if we believe and receive, like we're, we're in him and all that's available to us in that sense. We have these promises. Let us, somebody say, let us. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates. And again, this is the most important part of what I wanna talk about. We are responsible to make ready our heart and soul. Like we have a part to play. It's up to us for God to bless, for God to, for us to be in a position, for him to, to bless our lives, for those promises to come to pass. It is up to us to do this. It would be awesome if it wasn't that way. It would be awesome if God created us all with a, you know, a USB port in our life and he could just plug in, 
you know, kind of God's word into our heart, kind of like in the matrix, you know, where they shove that long spiky thing into the back of your brain kind of thing. You could download, you know, God's word immediately into your heart, into your life. And all of a sudden you're living the way God wants you to live. All of a sudden you are, you are living according to his principles or his precepts that he's given us in his word, but that's not how he did it. He said, let us do this. If I could download something into your life, it would be this. God will not do this for you. Won't do it for you. You have to put in the the work. Yes, the Holy Spirit will strengthen you, give you courage. The Holy Spirit will empower you. The Holy Spirit really is the way that you and I are able to search our hearts and test our way, see if there's anything, God, that, that is offensive to you. Like the Holy Spirit will point out things in your, your life. However, God will not do it for you. Won't make our lives ready for us. Like we have to do that. God told Abraham, Abraham, go. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. Everybody on earth is gonna be blessed through you, blessed by you. Like go to the promised land, just go, go. And, and Abraham wasn't like, all right, God, just do it transport me there supernaturally, you know, let's go. God's like, no, you have to do the hard work. You have to pack your family up. You have to leave. You have to take the hard roads. You have to do some things. Are you with me? God's not just going to do it for us. And I say that because I wrestle with this as your pastor, because did you know you could come here for years and years and years and years, sit in these seats and never advance in your spiritual journey? Do you know that? You know it's possible for you to walk in and out of this room week in and week out and never make any strides in your relationship with God. Why? Because you have to do something with it. You have to put it into practice. Yes, God's word is called bread. It nourishes us, it it sustains us. But what good is it for us to come in here and carbo load on the word of God and never exercise any of it out? Are you with me? You gotta do something about it, is my point. We have to make ourselves ready. And I, I learned this back in the day when I, when I think about like worship and how, how I worship God, you know, because, you know, back in the day, you know, when I was going to church, I was around a lot of churches where, where nobody ever like, like worshiped God with their hands lifted or anything like that. In fact, you know, they're just kind of all just standing here like this. And the only two people, the only people singing were the people on the choir or the guy that was leading worship like this. You know what I'm talking about? And everybody was standing there just kind of stoic, you know, just kind of all monotone, you know, singing, count your many blessings, name them one by one. You're like, you're really pumped about those blessings of God. I'm so so happy about these. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, right? And it's kind of like, you know what then I did though? I opened up my Bible. And how many of you know that'll mess you up when you actually open up your Bible? And I read things where David said, hey, I'm gonna lift up holy hands. I'm gonna give a shout of praise. I'm gonna clap my hands. It says, all you people clap. You know what the Bible does not say? All you extroverts clap your hands. All you people with outgoing personality, lift your holy hands to God. That's not what it says. It says, all of us do that. In other words, there's some ways that God wants to be worshiped and we don't get to decide. But I always thought I did. I always thought, well, man, those people that worship that way, you know, if anybody ever walked into a church when I was growing up that clapped their hands, everybody would look at them like they're crazy. 
Or they, they'd clap on the one and the three. You know what I'm talking about? Like, just don't even clap if that's how you clap. Don't do that. You got no rhythm, you got no soul. Two and the four, people, two and the four. And if anybody ever raised their hands, like, you're like, how did they get in here? Because you also, what you didn't do back in the day was invite people to church because you didn't care about the loss. All you cared about was making sure nobody was sitting in your pew every single, all right, I have to get off of that. I'm gonna get myself in trouble. I say all this to say, man, I just thought that if God wanted me to worship a certain way, one day he would just do it for me. That one day I'd just show up. And it sounds ridiculous to think of it like this, but maybe God had a string tied to my arm and one day in worship, I'd just look over and be like, What's up? I'm worshiping like he says to in his word. My God, you're just gonna make me worship. He's like, no, get into the house. Try to get as close as you can to me. Lift up holy hands, shout you know, for victory in my name. You wanna be a worshiper, then you come and worship. Colby, what's that got to do with anything? Everything. Because we'll say, God, do it for me. God, make me generous. And God's like, okay, get out your checkbook and write a check because I'm not doing it for you. The account's not in my name, it's in your name. I know some of you are like, what's a checkbook? Ask your mom, you know, it's fine. <laughs> this is not rocket science. God, make me, make me encouraging. That person is so encouraging. Make me, you wanna know how you become more encouraging? Encourage people. That's how you become more encouraging in your life. Make me ready, God. He won't do it for us. He says, you gotta do something. Let us purify ourselves. Take a step. Take a step. Don't walk in and walk out every single weekend, never advancing in your faith. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. Here's one of the dangers. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. How many of you know that would be a bad day? to miss out on the grace that God has for you and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, the things we're talking about in our spiritual hearts, in our, in our, in our lives, are, are often these little things, these little kinds of toxins that, that seem to be okay and they, they got into our lives maybe you know intentionally or unintentionally, but when they take root, they begin to, to grow up in our, our lives. They start little, and then they grow up and they become more difficult to remove. Is that not true? Like how many of you know kids are expensive, you know, aren't expensive when they're little, it's when they grow up, they get more expensive. I'm not comparing your kid to a toxin in your heart and soul, but kind of maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying there are seeds of things that get planted into our life, seed of, of unforgiveness. It might seem small in the moment, but that thing grows up in your life and it can lead to death of a relationship, death of a, a friendship. And we don't want that to happen. So we gotta remove some things. And last week I gave you a few things to, to remove. This week I'm gonna roll with that same kind of format. I wanna give you four things that we need to remove out of our heart and our soul and then also replace it with a few things. Here's number one, you ready for it? Write these down. Number one is offense. Offense. Just a, a, a little offense can be a tiny toxin, starts out little in our life, but can take root, work its way into our soul, and it can lead to bitterness, and it can start to drain the life out of us. 
And how many of you know, like, I'm not telling you anything, hopefully you don't know, but in this life, you will be offended. You know that, right? Like if you live life long enough, I'm not trying to bring the whole room down. You know, I'll put a dollar in the negativity jar if I have to. I'm just telling you, you will be offended. Somebody will say something to you that they should not have said. Somebody will not say something when they should have spoken up about it. Somebody will overlook you when you're the one who's qualified to do whatever it is that you were hoping to do. There is unlimited opportunities in this life for us to be offended. And the game changer, the difference maker is whether or not you choose to take on the offense. Not taking on the offense and saying, all right, I was offended. I'm gonna work through it. I'm gonna let it go and I'm gonna move on. Taking on the offense is I was offended and now I'm taking it and I'm carrying it. And now you start to, to judge that person based on that offense. You start to think what their emotions were or their motivation was in offending you. Even things that you have no information about, you start to make assumptions, you create false realities in your mind. However, you know, they're real to you. And so you take on this, this offense. And when you and I take on offense, like taking offense is, is building a, an actual fence between you and the person who offended you. That's what it is to take on an offense. And here's what I've discovered. Whenever someone offends, offends you, often the people that, that, that offended you have not even thought twice about the offense. Is that not true? And a lot of times they don't even know they offended you with their word or their, their action, however you've taken it on. And so we need to remove this toxin of offense because what it can do is bleed into our life and cause us to be to be bitter. And now you're not just bitter at the person who offended you, but how many of you know you're bitter with everyone around you? Because it's bled into every relationship because now you see everyone through that lens of that offense. Like if somebody, an authority figure offends you, does something to you, now anybody in a position of authority, you tend to see them through that lens of that offense. Or if somebody in your life, in your past, has hurt you and wounded you, now nobody can get close to you because you see them through the lens of that offense. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Like you filter everything through that and now nobody can win with you because you've been offended and you allow that offense to be, become bitterness in your, your life. Some of you guys, your wife is competing with someone who offended you back in the day and you're holding her accountable you know, to it, even though she had nothing to do with it. There were some of you ladies, you're holding your husband accountable to an offense. You were hurt by somebody in high school or by college, you know, in college or in your early 20s, and some sin committed against you, and now you're holding your husband accountable to it, even though they did nothing wrong. Are you with me? We gotta learn to let go of that offense. Or maybe they did do something wrong. Chances are they did do something wrong. But it was 20 years ago, and you're still holding that offense, you take on that, that offense. And here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness. Hey, that would be enough right there. Get rid of this. Get rid of the bitterness that, that offense has created in your life. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Here's how we do it. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? just as in Christ, God forgave you. So to the level God has forgiven you is to the level that you are to forgive others. That's hard. 
because I know the pushback. Colby, you have no idea what they did to me. You would not even say that if you knew what they, they did to me. I would just propose that if you'll forgive that person, you'll discover that you set a prisoner free and that prisoner was you because you were the only one that was continually being held hostage by that offense. Is that not true? If you'll just forgive, yeah, but it was so messed up what they did. You, you don't have a clue. You're right, I don't know what someone did to you, but I do know what is good for your soul. And I do know that it is not good to carry this thing with you that's gonna shade and going to kind of shadow every other area of your life because you've allowed bitterness to take root in your heart. I'm not saying you gotta be besties with that person forever, but I am saying you should forgive them just as in Christ, God forgave you. It, what I found for me in my life, whenever somebody offends me or maybe has said something about me or my family, that's the worst. Don't talk about my family or my, you know, the, the ministry that we're part of the church. Whenever that happens and I, and I hear about it, like I just, what I wanna do is, is like fight back and verbally assault, you know, and just be like, hey, hey. But what I need to do in that moment is pray. And I found that if I pray for them, like and pray good things for them, that's key. Not pray that they get, you know, uh, diarrhea forever or whatever. I know that's nasty. <laughs> but pray good things for their life. You know what that does for me? When I say, you know, God bless them. God bless them. God show favor to their family, to their children. God bless them. Like I'm telling you, it might not do anything for them, but it begins to shift something in my heart. Yes. My prayer for them might not change anything about what they've done, but how many of you know it changes me? Always, always. So pray, forgive, forgive. Uh, here's number two is jealousy. I mean, we gotta get out jealousy out of our life. And underneath jealousy, uh, that's kind of uh, in the background of all that, you know what I believe it is? It's comparison. And how many of you know we live in the age of comparison? I think it's always been around, but now because of the devices in our pocket, we have infinity in our pocket. We have unlimited opportunity to compare our lives with everyone else. All you have to do, you know, if you wanna compare is open up your favorite social media platform and just look because everybody's telling you everything about their life every minute of every day. Is that not true? Where they ate that you're not eating. Where they went that you didn't go. What bathroom they took their selfie in with Doug Lips that you're not in, which is, I don't know why, in a bathroom, ladies, come on. <laughs> like where, where they went on vacation or what the latest design trend is that you're not doing in your home kind of thing. There is so many opportunities for us to compare. And what happens is, is we see that online and we're like, look where they went on vacation. You never take me on vacation anywhere. And you're like, girl, I took you to Titusville twice last year. <laughs> Best back up off. No, I'm just kidding. But isn't that not true? We compare, 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 compare. Did you not see what they did in their kitchen, in their bathroom? How they remodeled their, their porch? Did you not? Did you see that they went out as a group together? I didn't even know they knew each other, but I certainly wasn't invited to that. Compare, compare, compare leads to jealousy. And I think at the heart and soul of jealousy, the root of it is a lack of contentment. 
Is it not? And what we have. And, and I think a lack of contentment really is one of the things that does offend the heart of God. Because what we're saying is, God, I am not happy with my portion. I'm not happy with what I have. I know that you're a good father, you have good gifts for me, that I've been blessed, you know, in, in the spiritual, you know, with every spiritual blessing, you know, imaginable, but God, I am not, not happy with what I have. And I think when we, go, we, we say that to God, I think he understands it because he is a good father and he, he loves us and he understands our spiritual immaturity. He understands what's broken inside of us, much like a parent with a child that is not getting their way, right? Throws a tantrum. I think God understands that, but it doesn't make him happy with it. I think it hurts the heart of God when we are not happy with what he has given us. We're not happy with our, our portion and one of the things that will set you free from, from jealousy is to be happy with your portion, to be content with what you have. Here's what the Bible says in James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, if you harbor this jealousy and this selfish ambition in your hearts, it's like a toxin that creeps into our life. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, look, doesn't come from heaven. You know where this comes from? This jealousy, this bitterness, it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's strong language. He says this comparison and jealousy, this is straight from the devil. This is straight from the enemy trying to keep you discontent with what, what you have and then he says this, for, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. Somebody say disorder. In every evil practice. Is that not true? Like, I don't care if you know God, love God, have a relationship with God or not. This verse is true. You will find disorder in your life. Why? Because comparison, jealousy, envy has caused you to, has caused you to buy things that you can't afford with money that you don't have to impress people you don't even like. And it's created what? Disorder. Has it not? Jealousy comparison has caused you to, to lower your standards and to go out with, with that guy or with that girl, even though you know that's not what God has for you. And it's created disorder. And I, and I get it because you're like, well, all my friends you know, have, have a boyfriend or all my friends have, have a girlfriend and you know, I don't, I'm here by myself. Compare, compare, compare. And that guy's interested in me. I know he doesn't love Jesus, but he's fine. And I, can, I can't make him fine, but I can make him love God, right? And so that's some of you just lower your standards and it creates disorder in your life. This comparison, I think one of the most godly things some of you could do, and this is gonna mess with some of you, is this week and just for the next six days, all right, until next weekend, next six days, delete every social media app on your phone. Like try it, just try it. Just try it for six days. And I know some of you even thinking about it, you're having a panic attack right now. You're like, what? <laughs> Kobe, what am I gonna do with all my time? I don't know, talk to your husband. Talk to your wife. Talk to your kids, you have a conversation while looking at them in the eye face to face. I'm just saying, try it for six days and see if it does not change some things in your heart. 
I think it'd be the most spiritually healthy thing that you might do all year long, honestly, if you did that. Number three, number three is pride. Pride, we gotta get pride out of our hearts, out of our souls. I'm not talking about the kind of pride that is I'm proud of my kids or I'm, you know, I'm, what a great job you did or the kind of pride you know, that says, I'm proud of, of what we get to be a part of and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the pride that flies in the face of humility. The pride that says, I can do this on my own. The pride that says, nobody can tell me what to do. I have the best way to do it. Like, don't even, don't even bother. And I think while we all, to some degree, are prone to pride, I'm gonna be honest, I think, guys, this is more of an our issue. Because we are raised with this ingrained into us that we don't need anybody else. Don't ask for help. No pain, no gain. Like, don't ask for directions. Directions are for sissies. You can get there on your own without asking for help, right? Pride will keep us from being healthy. Pride causes us to say, I don't need a doctor. Can't tell me anything I don't already know. It's pride in our life. And pride is a huge obstacle to becoming the person that God wants us to become. It's huge. You'll never become the father that God wants you to be, the husband. And it's not just guys. You'll never become the wife. You'll never become the mother. You'll never become the friend. You'll never become the the employee, you never become the athlete on, on, on the team because you know what pride says? You can't tell me anything, coach. Can't coach me. I know how to do it better. Pride in a, in a workplace says you can't, you can't tell me how to do this differently. You are uncoachable, you're untrainable. And here's what God says about it in James 4. He said, God opposes the proud. He opposes, he can't stand prideful people. It's arrogance. It's people that say, I, I know it all. And while he opposes the proud, what does he do with humility? It says he shows favor. Like you want God to get involved in your life? Be humble, be humble because he opposes the proud, but he will give favor. He will give grace to those who are, are humble. We have a humble heart. It is a platform that God can build off of. But pride Pride, God says, I don't want anything to do with it. In fact, the word pride in the original language is kind of, is, could be better translated as stiff-armed. You know, like the Heisman. Another shout out to Titusville. I think that dude's from Titusville. But that's like stiff, the, it literally could be said, God stiff-arms the proud. God stiff-arms, he throws a hand to the face of the proud and says, I want nothing to do with it, but he gives favor to the humble. Like if you really understood humility was the determining factor of whether or not God would show up in your life, would it change? Would it change you? Would it, would it make you think more about having a humble heart in everything that you do? Pride stands in the way of humility. And I've had to learn this many times the hard way that I don't know it all. I don't have all, all the answers, but I've also discovered that to the degree that I'm willing to drop my pride is to the de degree that I grow personally in my life. James goes on in verse 10, and says this, humble yourself, therefore, humble yourself before the Lord and he, somebody say he. he, he will lift you up. Pride says, I'm gonna lift up myself. I'll exalt myself. Humility says, God's gonna lift me up. God will exalt me. And how many of you know God lifting you up versus you lifting you up? Not even close, not even close. Proverbs 3.10 says this, pride only breeds what? Is it up there? Because y'all didn't say it. 
quarrels. Is that not true? Is that not the reason we get into fights in the first place is pride? Like I know it and you don't know it and I'm gonna prove my, that I'm right and I'm gonna prove you're wrong. It breeds quarrels. It's the reason we get into fights and it's, true, it's the reason why we stay in fights. Come on, let's just be truthful. Hasn't there been fights that you've engaged in with your husband or your wife and at some point in the conversation you've thought, uh-oh, she's right. <laughs> but I can't let her know she's right. And so you will stay in that fight even though you know she's right. It doesn't happen in my house. It's usually the other way around. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. You're like, I can't let her know, you know, because I'm still gonna win this fight. Pride will keep us in fights. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. It's wisdom, it's wisdom. Here's the last one we need to remove it, and that's anger. Anger. We need to detox our, our souls from anger. James 1, 19 says this, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And if, if you did that, I think that would just save you so much trouble. If we were quick to listen, slow to speak, you know, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness, the right living that God desires. Look at Proverbs 29, 11, it says, fools give full vent to their anger. Like fools just explode everywhere. I didn't call you a fool. God's word calls you a fool. You're a fool when you explode. You just fly off the handle. He says, but a wise man keeps himself under control. You have the ability. In fact, self-control is a fruit of, of the spirit. Like you have the ability to control those emotions. Listen to James uh, 412. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from evil desires that war within you? And listen, it says, you want what you don't have. Isn't that not the source of, of anger in our life? We want something that we, we don't have. Like I, I didn't get that promotion and so I'm mad or that didn't go my way, so, so I'm mad, I blew up. Really the source of our anger is what he's saying. It's, it's because we want something, it's not going our way that we're not getting. And so he says, you scheme and kill to get it. Is that not true? And Colby, I haven't killed anybody. Yeah, but the Bible says that in your tongue is the power of life and death. How many people have you assassinated with your words? Jesus said that even if you hate someone in your heart, you're committing murder. He says we scheme and kill when things don't go our way. We get mad. We get angry uh, when we don't get what we want. He says, yet you don't have because you didn't ask God. James is like, when you feel that boiling up in your life because things aren't going your way, like why wouldn't you just go to God? Why wouldn't you just ask him first? How many of in this room would, would have saved us so much regret because there was a moment that we blew up over something that if we would have just gone to God first with our anger, with our disappointment, with whatever it was and asked him first, yeah, Colby, well, if they, if they hadn't have said that, though, I wouldn't be mad. Or if she hadn't have done that, or if they didn't do that. In fact, I told them, if that happens, you know, I'm gonna get angry, and, and you're not gonna like me when I'm mad. I'm like, you're not the Hulk. <laughs> you're not a, a four-year-old boy who cannot control his emotions either. God's given you the ability to have self-control. You're not a fifth grader who, who, who cannot control themselves. No, we have to make the choice 
to bridle it, to, to control it. So we gotta go with, to God with it. Whatever it is that we're angry about, ask, ask him for it. That thing that's creating anger in our life. So we gotta detox these things. Anger, pride, jealousy, offense. We also need to replace it. And I wanna give you three quick things that we need to replenish our hearts with. You guys okay? These will go fast, I promise you. Here's number one, a God-anchored identity. We must replenish our heart and soul by knowing who we really are in Christ. Having a God-anchored identity. How many of you know everyone in this world is trying to label you? Is trying to put some label on your life. However, the only one who is qualified to label you is the one who created you. And that's God. God is the one who says who you are. God knows how he made you and designed you. The Bible says in Psalms that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knits you in the womb, that you are his masterpiece, it says in the New Testament. You are his poema. You are unique. You are not who everyone else says you are. You are who God says that you are. And you know who you are? You're a child of God's. You are loved unconditionally. You are forgiven, you know, once and for all. You have been set free if you are in Christ. You are not just an image bearer of God's, but you are a child of God's. You know, oftentimes we'll say you're not just an image bearer. We get that from Genesis 127. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That's who you are. So your God-anchored identity needs to start there. You are created in God's image. You are a, a child of his, though, when you cross that line of faith. In John 1.12, it says this, yet to all who received him and those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. You better know who God says you are. Not what everybody else says you are, not what culture says you are, not what people have spoken negatively over your life. Students, listen to me. You are not who everyone else says you are. You are not, which means you don't have to get your validation from anyone else because you're who God says you are. Your identity is squarely anchored and rooted in, in Christ. You have to know who God says you are. First Peter 2, 9 says you're chosen you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're God's special possession. Man, that's awesome. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'm just telling you, in a world filled with comparison and all these opportunities for us to compare our lives to someone else, you better know who God says you are. Otherwise, you're gonna try to become someone for someone else you're gonna be searching your, your entire life and nothing will ever be enough until you know that you are already enough, just as you are. Number two, a surrendered life. We're gonna take all this stuff out and we better have our identity rooted in Christ. We also better surrender our, our lives fully to him. A surrendered life. Here's what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20. I have been, he's writing this, crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live. So Paul's not saying I'm dead, obviously, because he, he's writing this. He's talking about something deeper in his life than just his body. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
And now this life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved and gave himself up for me. In other words, Paul is saying, I gotta die to some stuff. I gotta surrender my life. Talking about you know jealousy and offense and pride and anger, I have never seen a jealous dead person, have you? I've never seen a prideful dead person. I've never seen an offended. Why? Because those things don't affect dead people. Not physically dead, but, but you have these things that you've died to in your life, spiritually speaking, they don't affect you. Those toxins can't creep into your, your heart and soul. But this is something you have to do every single day. Man, if I could give you one thing to say, every day you need to surrender once again to God. Not like, not like for salvation. I mean, that's a, that's a once done and Jesus covered your sins, past, present, and future. And it's, it's good. I could tell you a story about that. I don't have time to do that. But every single day, and I don't always get this right, but at some point in my day, I just try to sit there in my prayer time or whatever it is, my hands held up and say, God, I surrender once again to you today. And not once a week, not on Sunday, like just for today, God. Because how many of you know, I just, I'm, I'm looking for God's help for the next 15 hours, not like all week long. Some of you are coming here thinking that this is good for all week long, it's not. It's every day, I surrender to you, God, my hopes, my plans, my dreams, my family, everything, God, it's yours. And I always say, hey, point out something in my life that needs to be cut off that's keeping me from living the way you want me to live every single day. And again, I don't always get it right all the time. So some of you, you need to practice this every single day, just surrender, I surrender. I surrender to you once again today. And you might have to do it again by lunchtime, but that's all right. Surrender to God. Here's the, here's the last one I wanna give you, and that's an eternal perspective. Colossians 3, one and two says, since then you've been raised with Christ now set your hearts. That thing we've been trying to prepare and make ready to be a platform for God to use, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and also your mind, your, your heart and your soul, your mind, your will, emotions, everything on things above, not on earthly things. He says, set your hearts, set your minds. In other words, get securely locked in on heaven get securely locked in on eternity. I feel so bad for people who put all their eggs into the earth basket. When this life was meant to be a, a pit stop, not a place that you take up residence, you're here for a short time. The Bible says you're here for a, a, like a breath. It's here today, gone tomorrow. I was doing a funeral on Friday for a lady. And it just, again, became this reminder of how short this life really is for us. It's a breath. But I bet if you would fix your thoughts on eternity, you know what? Jealousy would not have a hold on you because, okay, you can be jealous or envious, but, but compared to eternity? Or, or think about pride or think about having an offense. Like, okay, this is a short period of time we're on this earth. Like, that all seems a little insignificant when you start to compare it with eternity. So anchor your identity in Christ. Surrender your life every single day 
fix your thoughts and your perspective on eternity. And I believe that's one of the ways we continue to fill up our heart. Would you stand to your feet, bow your head, close your eyes. And while you're doing that, I have two questions for you. Here's the first question. What is God telling you? The Holy Spirit will speak. The Holy Spirit will teach. The Holy Spirit will convict, lead us into truth and understanding. So if you just ask him, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're telling me? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that God will, will kind of begin to make you uncomfortable in our sin, in our depravity, because we're all sinners. So what is it that God's speaking to you right now in this moment? And I guess the second question is, of course, what are you gonna do about it? How are you gonna make sure your identity is rooted and anchored in Christ? Are you willing to die to yourself every single day and surrender once again today? Say, God, have your, your way with me. Your plans are better than my plans. So I wanna surrender my pride, my jealousy, any offense that's starting to well up and take root in my life, even that something was small, I'm just allowed to grow into this, this monstrosity of a thing. Where God, help me forgive. Help me forgive those who offended me. God, I wanna pray good things in their life. Like, what is it God's speaking to you? And what are you gonna do about it? Now, for those of you that have never crossed that line of faith, you've never surrendered fully once and for all and confessed Jesus as Lord. He came and lived a perfect, sinless life to make us right with God because we could not do that on our own. And so God sent his son to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And the Bible says he was raised three days later, conquering sin, conquering death, that that does not have the final word in our life, that Jesus does. And when we confess him as Lord and we believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And he's brought you here to this moment to do just that. I wanna pray with you and lead you in a prayer that, that does that. I'm just gonna help give you some language to it. You can say something like this, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender it to you. I know I need you. I'm desperate for a savior. Forgive me for my sin. I confess you as Lord. Just tell him that, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my savior of my life. I believe God raised you from the dead so I could be raised to a new life. So God, take my life, have it all. Today, I surrender it all to you. And not just today, but every day. God, I pray for those that are right now trying to die to something in their life, that as we surrender to you and give you this moment right now, that we would be changed, that we're not just, just gonna walk in and out, in and out, in and out, unaffected. But God, we wanna take your word that is bread and see it lived out in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, 
Go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.